questions. Uh, as it says it in your notes, um, as we said last week, uh, the thoughts from Romans 14 carries over into Romans 15, uh, right up until about verse 7. Uh, Paul continues this one another encouragement to the church. So 14, we talked a lot about this idea of the disagreements in the church between the stronger and the weaker. Uh, do we eat meat? Do we not eat meat? How do we handle this disagreement? And so that kind of logic carries over into chapter 15. And again, like we've always said, these verse numbers and chapter divisions uh, were added after the fact. They're added for reading, for translational purposes. And so when Paul wrote the letter to the Roman church, there were not these divisions. It would be more like a letter. There would be thought divisions, not so much numerical divisions. And so this happens sometimes where a thought may continue from one chapter to the next. Sometimes it ends at the chapter. It just kind of wraps it up and then the next chapter starts over. But that's not always the case. And that's what we see here. So uh, we're going to open up with the first seven verses of Romans 15 to kind of kind of finish off chapter 14. But really we're going to see the same thing kind of continues throughout the whole chapter. Okay. So receive one another, edify one another. Those are kind of the two commands or encouragements, not commands, encouragements in 15. Now Paul encourages us to please one another, to please one another. So Romans 15, 1 through 7, and I know it's a smaller group, but I'd still like to get somebody to read. If somebody wants to read for us. Greg, awesome. Thanks so much. Yep, just 1 through 7. Okay, so this, it could be summarized pretty quickly with this idea of please one another. Please one another. And I love the example, we're going to get to in a minute here, that he actually includes Christ in this. Um, chapter 15, verse 2, this is kind of a good summary of the whole thing. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. So that's a pretty challenging encouragement, let every one of us have this mindset, this goal, this motivation to please his neighbor for what purpose? For his good to edification. For his good, the neighbor's good to edification. Now this language, please our neighbor, what does this remind you of? This idea of pleasing our neighbor or our neighbor as a whole. Okay, love your neighbor as yourself. And what's an example of that in the Gospels? Pretty famous one. Right, right? The guy says, well, who's my neighbor? And I said, okay, let me tell you a story. Now, who was neighborly to this person? Well, it was the person that showed him mercy. Um, and so this is a similar idea. G Paul's kind of reaffirming some of these key ideas in what it really means to be a follower of Christ, that we don't live as followers of Christ for ourselves. Primarily, we live for God's glory and for the edification of others, right? To please others. Now, 
this idea of pleasing others, you might get the wrong in, impression. You might think, okay, then I need to do everything that they agree with, that they like, that they're pleased with. I don't really get that from this text. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I think what he's saying is everything I do should be for the good of others, right? To help others, to encourage others outside of myself. And so let's jump into your notes. Uh, the first thing we have to notice also is a key point in verse 1. A key point in verse 1. Paul identified himself with the group in Romans 15 called, or Romans 14 called the strong. Okay, he says right there, we then that are strong. So we then that are strong. Um, remember we define the strong or those strong in the faith as those who understood their spiritual liberty in Christ and who are not enslaved to diets and holy days. So those that are strong in the faith understood their spiritual liberty that they have in Christ, and they are not enslaved to diets and holy days. There's nothing wrong with those things if they choose to give themselves to those things, but I don't have these things to show that I am spiritual. Um, And I put here, Uh, I agree with Warren Worsby, and I'm going to quote it in just a minute here, that Paul, in addressing these issues in the church, as really addressing the issue of selfishness. If you look back at 14, and you read this kind of debate, this disagreement, you really could boil it down to they were just being kind of selfish. I want what I want, and if you don't do what I want, then I don't like you. It's very self-centered. When we have an us better than them mindset, we tend to focus more on our wants and our desires, not thinking of how we can bless others. So when it's us against them, right, the strong against the weak, or we're right and you're wrong, and that's the motivation that's driving us, that doesn't mean we don't actually think we're right in an area and they may be wrong in an area, but that's not driving us in our relationships. What's driving me is, okay, my enemies. This is what Jesus would say. Those that are my enemies, those that disagree with me, those that hate me, want to persecute me. The Christ-like thing to do is to say, okay, they're my enemies, but how can I bless them? How can I minister to them? How can I actually be an encouragement to them? Versus the human response is, how do I get even with them? How do I make them pay for what they're doing? That's more the human, selfish drive. Christ-centered thinking says, how can I bless them, right? Isn't that what Jesus taught in the Beatitudes? Bless them that curse you, right? Bless them that hate you. So how do we bless them? That's our motivation here. Uh, this is a quote, and I think I put this in your notes from Warren Worsby uh, his, in his commentary on the New Testament in relation to this passage. Um, and I love this. He says, true Christian love is not selfish, Rather, it seeks to share with others and make others happy. Now, again, I know that in and of itself, you'd be like, well, wait a minute. But listen to what he's saying. I think you'll understand he's not talking about living in a way that we submit ourselves to others in every way. But listen to what he goes on to say. It is even willing to carry the younger Christians to help them along in their spiritual development. We do not endure them. We encourage them. Now, that to me, that hit really, really hard when I was reading Warren Worsby's commentary on this passage, uh, we don't endure them, the younger Christians. We encourage them. And I think sometimes we think this way when we're the strong, right? And we have all this liberty. And then these younger Christians come along without that, understand that knowledge, or they're stuck in this or that way of thinking. We go, oh, I got to endure this. I got to kind of make do. But I love what Worsby says. No, no, no. Rather we encourage them. We come alongside them. And I love what he says. We actually carry them. 
We carry them along and we help them to understand what God's word says. And that mindset, that attitude bleeds out in how we interact with other people. Here's the thing. I think the weaker Christians in the church at Rome, they knew that the stronger thought they were weaker. I don't think the strong made it a secret that they thought they were weaker. And that's the mindset that Wiersbe is kind of speaking against here. We tend to have a more or have more of a just bear with them approach to young or immature Christians. Now, I said young and immature. That's not necessarily the same thing, right? You can have a lot of Christians who are older but immature in the Lord. This is those who are enslaved to these things. And I'll give you an example. I had a conversation with someone that I would consider that they think themselves to probably be pretty strong. But I think in a lot of ways, they're probably pretty immature in the idea of Christian liberty. They haven't grown to a point of understanding. I'm not bound to these legalistic things. But yet when you talk to them, they would tell you, oh man, I know the word. I preach the word. I teach the word. I've known the word. I've done this for 20 years. But yet when you talk to them about everyday life, you realize, but in a lot of ways, you're tied to these non-biblical things that would actually make you immature. But what do we do? Do we mock them and laugh at them? No, we just encourage them. We do our best to speak truth, but encourage them, not so much bear with them. So encouraging them does not mean we ignore issues. Okay, we don't deny truth or do our best. It means we rather do our best in prayer and discipleship to help them grow. It means we do all we can do with a heart of love for them right now, not merely a desire to get them to where we are or where they need to be so that we are satisfied in their Christ-likeness. I don't just take an immature believer, an immature believer and say, I, my goal is to get you to where I think you should be and then I'll be happy with where you are. Your Christ-likeness now impresses me, we're good. It's, no, no, I want to help them to grow in Christ so they can be all that God wants them to be, not so I'm satisfied, but so that God is satisfied in them. And I'm doing that in a heart of love, okay, a heart of oneness. Yes? Yes. Yes. And a good example would be like, I want a young Christian to learn to have a healthy devotional life. I want to really see them get with God every single day. And I want to help them in that. Right. I get up at 4.30 and I spend two hours with the Lord. So guess what? You got to get up at 4.30 and spend two hours with the Lord because that's a healthy relationship with Christ. That's not true. But I can, now I can model that example. I can say, now listen, this is what I do to spend time with the Lord. This is how I do that. And we should invite people into that kind of transparency. But we need to be careful that we're always reminding, especially younger Christians, because younger Christians that are on fire for the Lord, they are so hungry and they want to do whatever's going to work. And if they see you as somebody that's really close to the Lord, your influence is huge. And you may kind of unwittingly set these examples and then they're trying to fulfill your expectations of those things when they miss a day or they don't spend as much time or they don't handle a situation the right way. And so I think one of the biggest things we do in helping people is to be transparent to a degree, be honest, right? When we blow it in our devotional life as a discipler, we don't pretend that didn't happen with the person we're discipling. We're honest. Hey, listen, I missed my prayer time the other day. Um, I've shared it before. There's a couple guys I talked to, one guy in specific that almost daily, not always daily, but at least every couple of days, we will encourage each other. 
How's your prayer life going? How was your prayer time this morning? Blah, blah, blah. And I love that I can be honest enough with this person to say, you know what, actually, I got up later than I wanted to. I didn't get prayer in this morning. But hey, I'm going to get to it when I can. And I've had this person say to me, you know what, I didn't get my study in like I should have, but I'm going to get to it in the next half hour. So thanks for the encouragement. That's, it's not about always saying prayer was great, Bible study was great, everything's perfect, nothing's wrong. That doesn't work. Applying it. So, like, how do you, I mean, you don't want to, obviously, what you're just saying, push, like, how you think it's going right. to be on there. But what if it's just, like, how Christians Right. So an example, maybe an example would be like, you're trying to encourage them to have that consistent quiet time with the Lord, spend time with the Lord. They're like, oh yeah, I know I need to have a devotional life, but they never actually have a devotional life. And you're, you don't want to push your format of a devotional life onto them, but you're almost like, but they're not applying it. That's a, I mean, that's a, kind of a unique to the individuals kind of question, I think. But I would say, Biblically speaking, what I see in Scripture is if, there, if it's a believer that knows Christ, I would say as long as there's opportunity, we encourage. If the door is shut or if the person, if the person says, I'm drifting myself away, I'm, I'm stepping out of this, I'm not, you, they're not even giving you the opportunity to speak into their life anymore, then obviously they've made that decision. But I would say as long as there's opportunity, we encourage. But we also realize it's up to them to apply. We, we can't take on the ownership or the burden of them doing it, that we can't own that, that they have to apply it. We just kind of do what we can and, and speak into that situation, I guess. Renee? And over and over. Right. Yes. Right.
Right. Right. Right. So the only difference, the only difference in that example, which I agree with fully, is that we don't know people's hearts like Jesus does. So Jesus could look at like this room and go, okay, I know that you, 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 and you, you're all here for the right reasons. You, 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 and you, you're not here for the right reasons. I can't discern that in a person. We can judge fruit. We can see hear passion, but that's the only difference. Now, I agree with what Renee said. I think because Christ knows their heart and the Holy Spirit may begin to move us to understand that so that we're not getting that pressing where somebody else that God knows this person really needs to hear from somebody. So God impresses it on my heart and maybe four or five other Christians hearts in this person's area of influence so that I'm not the only one that's being encouraged to speak to this person. That's another weight we put on ourselves. Well, if I, I blew that opportunity. So that person is never going to get discipled. Well, no, there was probably a handful of other people that God worked on and they maybe were faithful to do it. And you missed the blessing of being involved, but God's going to do what God's going to do. So to me, I would say, I think that's part of it. I also think that, I mean, you look at the rich young ruler, Jesus knew before he had the conversation, the man was going to walk away, but he still took the time to have the conversation. So I think some people will come to somebody and say, Hey, I want to, I want to be discipled. Will you disciple me? It's an emotional decision. Sometimes it's, uh, I was in my devotional life and I feel like I read these examples and I want to be that. I want to do that. Um, I heard somebody say it's good to be discipled or that it's important. So we don't know why they're making that commitment to say, I want to be discipled. And if it's an emotional decision and there's nothing substantial underneath that, it probably will be like what you're saying where it's like, Hey, I want to do this. And then it wanes and fades and drifts off because there was no weight to it. It was just an emotional response to a church service or to a song or something. But I think we need to, that's where, again, we just open the door and invite people into that relationship. And though, right. Sure. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 I agree with that 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Because we don't know the impact we're making because we don't see instant results or even short-term results. Right. So I agree with that 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Right. Right. Maybe 
But I think if you lay God's word before someone that desires to be discipled, or they say, I want to grow, and you lay God's word before them and say, well, this is what God's word said, and they say, well, I don't want that, then you really can't go any farther. Because to be discipled is to be trained in the things of God. So if they're not willing to submit to God's word, then you need to say, well, then we need to pray about this and move forward at the time, at, at the appropriate time. Absolutely. All right. So um, where are we at here? So, okay. So uh, I'm in your notes, I think is where we are. Um, so a uh, question we need to ask is, can we really have a hard time sacrificing some meat and drink to help younger Christians to grow? All we have to do is look at the example that Christ set forth. Let's measure any form of sacrifice for Christ against the sacrifice of Christ. Okay. Um, and so what's that? It is in my notes. It's in relation to, um, do you guys have the part about, uh, let's see, encouraging them does not mean we ignore issues. Okay. So this is in relation to that, that we need to understand that we're still there to encourage them. But as we do that to help us have the right mindset, this is a question that carries on from chapter 14. Can we really have a hard time sacrificing some meat and drink to help younger Christians to grow? Can, as strong Christians, can we really not say, if I limit my intake of these things to help you to understand this, I can do that, obviously. And that's the statement that kind of came to my mind. Let's measure, because it would be a sacrifice to give up something that we know we can do to help a younger Christian. But let's measure any form of sacrifice for Christ against the sacrifice of Christ. So if I'm being asked by God to give something up or to sacrifice something, then how do I judge that? Well, I judge it against what God has done for me. Uh, in Romans 15, Paul quotes uh, Psalm 69.9. Uh, this is what Christ did for us. Okay, Our reproach fell on him, so we do not uh, lay a reproach against each other. We Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. This is that reference to Psalm 69.9. So if Christ took our reproaches and that fell on Christ, then I don't lay those on each other because those have already been lifted. Therefore, I can encourage because we've all had them lifted by Christ. Paul shares two sources of spiritual strength we can draw from. Uh, we see this in verses 4 through 6. Um, and so uh, Romans 15, 4 says, Now whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. So the, one of the things that we see is Paul references as a source of strength spiritually we can draw from as we desire to live this way is first the Word of God. Uh, this is one of my favorite verses in Romans. I think it's kind of a great summary of everything he said so far. Um, but the Scriptures were given uh, for our learning. I love that. The Scriptures were giving, given for our learning. In this case, what Scriptures was Paul speaking of? What Scriptures were Paul speaking of here in Romans 15, 4? We talk in Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament, right? Right. The New Testament is being written or just recently being disseminated among the churches, okay? So he's speaking about the Old Testament since actually what happens right before this. I gave you the quote. He quotes Psalm 69.9. So he quotes the psalm and then he says, hey, all those things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. So he's kind of saying, I just gave you an Old Testament example. Why was that given to us? So that we can learn from it, as well as all of the Old Testament scriptures. But in principle, we know that he is referring to all scripture. 
So in context, specifically Old Testament, but we know now we're reading the word of God that was written aforetime. The book of Romans was written before now. And so we know that God in his sovereignty is not just speaking about Old Testament, but all scripture. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired or God breathed. Okay. So Rome or second Timothy three, we'll go over there real quick and just do a little reminder read. I know we all know it. Second uh, Timothy three, uh, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And so uh, what is the benefit here? We see here, we're, what, how could you summarize what Paul says in 2 Timothy? It's given, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. It's about learning, right? We're learning from these things. How do I know the right doctrine? Because I've learned it. How do I know how to live? I've learned it. How am I ready to do good works? Because I've learned these things. So going back to Romans 15, and putting it back in context of what we've been talking about, uh, he says, The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope. So what is the benefit of learning? Uh, we are given patience and comfort, which deepens our hope. So all of the Scripture was given to us to learn. And what is the benefit of learning, according to Romans 15? It's so that I will grow in patience, which is good for young, dealing with younger, immature Christians, right? I will deal or grow in comfort. So I'm comforted by the word of God, which is an amazing thought. Now, there's nothing greater than being in God's word and just receiving comfort from these things. Um, how about when you study the life of different people that God has used and you see the struggles and the trials they went through and then you realize God was with them and you go, man, I, thank you God for giving that to me so that I can learn that you can comfort me and be with me. Reading of Daniel and the lion's den or whatever example you want to think about. That was given to us to demonstrate to us God working, God with Daniel, so I can learn from that and today have patience and comfort, which deepens my hope that God will be with me tomorrow. So the scriptures are given to us for these reasons. The other source of strength we get here in Romans 15, uh, verses 5 and 6. It says here, now the God of patience and consolation. So that's a pretty cool title, the God of patience and consolation. Grant you to be like-minded one towards another according to Christ Jesus, that you, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so now in your notes, I put this in here. And as I was studying this out, I found a few different references and resources that use this same or kind of summarize this in the same way, which I thought was interesting at first when I read the passage, because the word's not actually used, but it would be the gift or the strength of prayer, the word of God and prayer. While it doesn't say this is a, quote, prayer, I believe that the way God grants us this consolation and the one mind is through prayer. So it says there that may he, uh, may you, Wow, that he may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's that idea that we are doing that in prayer. We're receiving this great gift and we're expressing these things with one mind and one mouth glorifying God in prayer. All believers will grow impatient and frustrated with immature believers. However, time in prayer and the word of God will give us encouragement and patience. 
Paul makes a point of praying for the church often. You read that, right? He prays often for the church, which suggests that the local church must major on prayer and the word. Uh, One good example I'll give you, and I don't think this is in your notes, but the first real threat to the unity of the early church, the first real threat to the unity of the early church was when the apostles were becoming too busy to minister God's word and pray. Okay, reference you can write down is Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. So Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, uh, we see here that the early church's unity was being threatened. Now, some of you may know real quick, just off the top of your mind, you're thinking Acts, you're thinking chapter 6. The apostles are being too busy to minister God's word and to pray. Uh, What's going on there? What was the issue that was arising in the early church that caused the apostles to be distracted from the giving of God's word and to pray. And so Acts 6 leads to the choosing of certain individuals. Right. Right, right. Yep, he was one of the first, the, the word's not used there, deacon. It's not used in Acts 6, but the position, the, the description of that we see as really the first choosing of the first deacons in Acts chapter 6. And so here we have the early churches exploding. We're talking thousands of people are being saved and drawn into the church. Thousands of people. Someone has to minister to them. Somebody has to encourage them. Somebody has to be there for them. And as those people weren't getting their physical needs met, they're starting to complain. And I know it's hard to believe somebody in a church would complain, but it does happen. Okay, they're complaining, they're whimpering, they're whining. Okay, well, you just don't love us as much as you love that group, or you don't like us like you like this group because we're of this group and they're of that group. And I love what the apostles did. The apostles didn't try to fix it all by doing everything, okay, which would have been an option. They could have said, okay, sorry, all right, Peter, you go take care of that table and I'll take care of this table. Okay, what they chose to do was, hey, listen, in the church, you guys can solve this problem. So from among you, choose these individuals that will do this. And they say this, and it's not a derogatory thing, but the apostles were clear. We need to be given to the study of God's word and to pray. And what's amazing is when they were able to to major on those two things as the leadership of the church, the early church as it was, and others were taking care of those daily needs. Now, again, this is not saying that pastors don't meet the physical needs of the church. But the point of that passage is this. Unity was restored. There was a oneness in the church again. Okay, we've solved this problem from within. The persecution from the outside was still heavy, right? Because in a couple of chapters, Stephen dies, right? He's martyred. But we still see that. But yet the church itself was unified. When others joined in sharing their burden, the apostles were able to return to their proper ministry and the church experienced growth and harmony. And so when the word of God and prayer are emphasized in a church, whether it's the early church in the book of Acts or whether it's North Goodland in in 2020, when those two things are emphasized, there can be harmony and, and growth in the church. But the key is we as a body have to do our part and step up and serve where we can so that those things are still emphasized. Uh, Last verse we looked at already, and then we're going to wrap it up. Uh, Verse 7 is, I think we read to verse 7. The results of all of these one another's, okay, to, quote, edify one another, please one another, all these things, receive one another, is the glory of God. So Romans 15 and verse 7. Wherefore, receive you one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So you see that right where he said that. Receive 
one another as Christ also received us. Romans 14, uh, we see here, he talks about the very beginning of the chapter, uh, Romans 14, 1, him that is weak in the faith receive you. So we see this is why we put this kind of thought bookends here. 14.1 talks about receiving, 15.7, the idea of receiving. So you see how Paul's kind of building this case. You need to receive each other. Here's why. Here's what that looks like to edify one another, please one another. And as you're doing that, you're receiving one another because Christ has received you. God is glorified. The truth is disunity and disagreement do not glorify God. Disunity and disagreement do not glorify God. It happens. And again, all you can do is what you can do. You cannot make someone resolve their issue, and all you can do is open the invitation up them grow. It's what Sandra said. I, this person wants to, it seems like this is what we need to do. I open the invitation. They don't respond. What do I do? You leave it up to them to do what they know they need to do. And so the same thing here. When Paul says, receive one another again, as Christ has received you, do you think that the strong in the church heard that and then went, okay, we need to be more proactive. We need to be encouraging one another and went to somebody that was weaker in the faith and said, listen, why don't you come over for dinner Thursday night? I'm just guessing here. I don't know if they had dinner on Thursday nights in their culture or not, but there's no sort of dinner. Okay, let's just get together. Do you think there was a chance a weaker person said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Of course, there's a chance for that because that's human nature. So again, this isn't saying that by the stronger doing this, everything was solved in the church. We know there's still issues in the, in the church. There's going to continue to be issues in church because people in the church and we're not perfect. But it's saying as strong, that's remember 15.1 started off with, we then that are strong. Paul puts the onus and the burden on the strong to do what they can do in the faith. They're strong in the faith for a reason. So again, in Romans 15, 8, really through the end of the chapter, he kind of takes a turn and he goes from talking about this idea of receiving one another and edifying one another to this idea of ministry. Because remember, now Paul's kind of wrapping up the letter. He's starting to get down to the end of the letter. So he's going to talk about ministry. And so we're going to talk about the ministry of Christ, the ministry of Paul, and our ministry today. So we'll unpack all of that next week. All right. Um, any thoughts, comments, or questions? on anything we've looked at tonight. Right. Yep. That's why I love that, that it's so simple, but the invitation he gave more often than not in the gospels was not believe on me. It was follow me. It was an invitation to a relationship, but it was active. It was progressive. It was growing. And many people decided to, the Bible says it this way, they turned and stopped following. They chose to not follow anymore. And Christ didn't stop doing what he was doing. He continued to minister. And so some will stop following and follow again at some later point. Some will stop following and never follow. Um, and so all we do is invite into the relationship. We invite, we invite, we invite. All right, absolutely, great point. Any other thoughts, comments, or questions? Someone needs to get Evan a cough drop, just saying. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> all right, guys, let's pray. And we'll go ahead and be dismissed. Father.